Hi. How you doing? Wonderful. How are you? I'm really good. So welcome everybody. It's Sailor and Kayla here. And uh, we are really excited about this show that you're about to hear. But we wanted to say a few things about it um, before you guys listen. Um, we had the amazing opportunity uh, to interview Nicole Austin, who is the distiller for Cascade Hollow, and they produce George Dickel whiskey, as you should all know, I hope. Um, she's awesome. She's amazing. We had so much fun with her, and it was just a really great conversation and a really good insight into her career path and um, you know how she feels about the industry, and I don't know, we talked about so much. Um, but the reason why we wanted to speak to you guys first is we wanted to apologize for two things. One, I need to apologize for my sniffling in the recording. Please forgive me. I did some of the recording with tissues shoved up my nose. My allergies were so bad. I have literally like debilitating allergies. Sometimes I can't breathe. Um, I used to have an inhaler. It's, it's terrible. So I'm so sorry. Uh, when we listened back to it, I could hear it. And poor Ed, who was our editor, I said, you know, is there anything that you can do to get the, the sniffling out? Um, so the reason we couldn't get the sniffling out is because when we interviewed Nicole, she was at the distillery in Cascade Hollow um, and she was in the lab. So we had a lot of technical difficulties getting her to call in and being able to hear her clearly. So you're going to hear a lot of variations in sound, and we apologize. There was really not much we could do about it um, because of conditions. So just bear with us, guys, and give us <laughs> a little bit of grace. Um, we hope the yeah. conversation uh, is so good that you don't mind the sound quality. <laughs> It's totally worth it, in my humble opinion. <laughs> She's so fun to listen to. She's hilarious, and her points on her music and on her on the music she likes to listen to and her whiskey and just her experience, it's just totally worth every moment of in-and-out sound. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, we could have talked – I mean – I, at one point, I let her go because I'm like, I think we kept her much longer than we were supposed to. And she's like, oh, mm -hmm. I don't want it to end. <laughs> that made me so happy. I, I know. know. <laughs> me too. Um, but, I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but she yeah. had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be getting together with her again, um, probably in person, so that we can do a follow-up and have much better sound quality. And so that we can talk to her about... Um, the, her new Bottled and Bond, that was, we did this recording a few weeks ago, so the Bottled and Bond was just released. Um, so we definitely want to talk to her about that. We're really excited for her. We're so proud of her. Um, I'm excited to taste it. Kayla has tasted it, but we're going to wait for her comments on it until we get back together with Nicole. Um, Absolutely. It's a, it's a, uh, 13-year-old, 100-proof, bottled in bond. Now, Nicole has been with Cascade Hollow now for 14 months, about. Um, the mash bill on it is 84% corn, 8% rye, and 8% malted barley. And it was chill charcoal filtered um, with the sugar maple charcoal, which is indicative of the Tennessee process, of course. Um, and the notes that I've been reading, if I were to sum up a lot of the tasting notes... I would say the standouts are light honey, tropical fruit, 
warm spices and a touch of leather, which sounds pretty on par for what um, flavors come from George Dickel. I happen to be a big, big fan of their rye. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited to see what she created with the stocks they have. I can only imagine how much fun that must have been going through their age stocks and putting mm-hmm. this beautiful bourbon together. And I can't wait to talk to her about it. That'll be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we don't want to go too far down the whiskey rabbit hole here. Um, but she is just another badass babe who is kicking ass and taking names and it was our absolute honor and pleasure to sit down with her amen (laughs) so i guess what's left to say enjoy the show that sounds good enjoy the show enjoy the show everybody Hey there, I'm Sailor, and this is Pretty Good for a Girl, a podcast about girls who rock, girls who can hold their liquor, and girls who will arm wrestle you in a rainstorm with a lollipop. Everybody, I am so happy to be here today with our favorite mixologist, Kayla, and I believe she has brought a most special guest with her for today's show. Kayla, who have you brought from the holler? Well, hello, ladies. It is great to be back in the studio, and I do indeed have a very special guest to introduce. Please welcome chemical engineer, distiller, and overall super badass lady friend, Nicole Austin. Yay! Good to be here. Welcome, welcome. We are very, we are so appreciative that you took the time uh, and to speak with us. I know our listeners are really going to love this, so we are excited. Always happy to support some badass ladies. Yeah. Love it. Woo! <laughs> so before we get into our discussion, let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, one, what are we drinking at the moment or at this very second if we're drinking anything? And then Kayla, I do believe you have a cocktail creation for us today. I do. I do. Um, well, what are, first of all, are you, uh, are you drinking anything special lately, Nicole? Uh, well, see, I might have to put my finger over the label, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's something very secret. <laughs> um, we are actually just today finishing the barrel dump for my first ever new whiskey release in this role, um, which Ooh. is going to be coming out to market in May. Uh, but it's going to so be exciting. I'm so exciting. It's something I've been working on for months and months, and it was killing me not to be able to talk about it. Oh. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be um, George Dickel bottled in bond. Oh, oh, awesome. Oh, I can't wait to try that. I'm super excited. So I've got this bottle with me right now because I need to, uh, you know, quality check the liquid when we're done dumping this afternoon. Of course. Very important. (laughs) Well, that's better than what I'm drinking, but not that much better because I'm drinking some George Dickel rye. And let me tell you, it's 10, 16 a.m. where I am. So I am drinking it with my coffee. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? 
Yes. That's so weird. Oh my gosh, that's so great. <laughs> I just love weird. It's the, it's the strangest. It's so, if listeners can't see, but I have this super weird mug. I'll take pictures of it and put it in the show notes. I don't even, the birds are wearing shells as hats. I don't even know. Yeah. It's super strange. They're just being their authentic selves. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a big rye girl um, because I'm also a New Yorker originally. Mm. And uh, us New Yorkers love our rye. Um, I happen – so some of my f- big favorite ryes, I love wild turkey rye. Um, I've been drinking that for years. And to be honest, I don't think I picked up the Dickel rye until maybe like a year ago. I was – such a sleeper. It is – it, I mean, I'm sorry, but I want to not talk about it much so it's easier to find. <laughs> it's so smooth it's unbelievable it's you know what this is really good for introducing um people to whiskey because it's so smooth and flavorful it's very highly drinkable especially the folks that think that they don't like rye because rye has Uh a reputation of being like spicy Mm -hmm. um yeah you know and big and they're like oh no i couldn't possibly that's such a great rye to start with and also i think for cocktailing you don't necessarily want the whiskey to take over the entire thing right exactly um work well yeah i I have a soft spot for that rye as well and for the price i mean unbelievable yeah that's really a good point unbelievable i mean it's cocktailing price i can put it on a a bar menu if i need to exactly yeah, I happen to be living in a state that has a lot of work still to do with <laughs> with their liquor laws. Um, we have almost a 30% tax on liquor in the state of Washington, which is prohibitive in so many ways. Um, yeah. I have no idea where the money's going because we also have legal cannabis and the roads are complete shit here. Uh, so we will drive over the border to Idaho, which has a terrible selection but better prices. So um, I've really been getting to know my bottom and mid-shelf <laughs> whiskeys yes. since I've been out here, let me tell you. <laughs> what an appreciable place in the world, though. I think those are – they are under-discussed and under-appreciated, that, like, old standby that just reliable, you know, know you can find it, know it's going to be good, know it's good value for your money kind of whiskeys. I mean, like, that's – for me, that's what I was trying to make happen with Dickle, you know, it's like – it's it's awesome to go exploring and have all these like fun weird rare whiskeys. But yeah. like sometimes yeah. you just want like a you know just a damn good whiskey that you can just exactly. buy and enjoy. Exactly. It's super precious about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yes. Not everything has to be so delicate. <laughs> I know, exactly. And I love my, you know, I've been drinking a lot of Evan Williams lately, too, because of the price point, if I can't drive to Idaho, you know, so I've really been scouring the bottom. And, you know, I've come across a few things where I'm like, oh, this was not a good choice. But I'll just make bitters out of it, you know, and then um, I think that's how I went back to Dickel was, well, the rye, especially I thought, you know, I need a switch. And, uh, I open it up and and my boyfriend is new to whiskey and so I've been testing out a lot of my theories on him and uh, he's like this is so smooth I can't he, and I'm like yeah it's highly drinkable and the price point is unbelievable so I think I'm gonna write something everybody's so like you said I'm just so sick of all the collecting and the you know $150 for this bottle and you know um, you know, your bar is not a museum, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be the thing that you, like, enjoy and, and drink off of. And I feel like 
I mean, I, I'm fell victim to that. You know, I just finished moving. Uh, I did, you know, two international moves and then a move here in Tennessee. And it really made me rethink, like, exactly <laughs> how many whiskey bottles I have. Yeah. And whether that's really oh, yeah. necessary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, I had the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Last year, I moved from Cincinnati to, to Boston, and then Boston out here to Washington State. And I had to, I was like, well, I can take one box with me in the car. And I was going to set my stuff has been in storage forever. What do I take with me? And I was like choosing my favorite children. And I'm like, this is stupid. So I called a few friends where I'm like, let's drink a bunch of shit before I leave. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've taken to like, I kind of pull one out of this, like, overly precious collection and put it on my kind of main bar and just like, you know, I'm not going to wait for some special occasion. I'm just going to enjoy this whiskey. Like whenever I feel like it, if I feel like whiskey, I'm just going to have it, you know? Um, and it's, I'm, I'm slowly, I'm slowly depleting, but you know, if anyone wants to come by and help me, you're welcome. Oh yeah. My hand is raised. My hand is raised. Oh, I'm willing to sacrifice. That sounds like a terrible sacrifice. Yeah. That's funny. So Kayla, what do you have for us today for a cocktail? drinks are actually going to use um, some of this George Dickel Tabasco barrel finish um, because they're super cocktail friendly. Uh, they really, really work well for cocktails. So my first drink that I'm drinking right now is Carpano Bianco split with the Tabasco um, finish mm. uh, George Dickel. And then I topped it with club soda and a little bit of a lemon zest. It's so fantastic. Yum. It's got kind of like Oh my, I, like, I just, I love the Tabasco finish. I, I didn't expect to love it. I'll be honest. I didn't want to love it. Uh, oh, because, I feel you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, you know, there's like a, tons of things out there that are flavored this, flavored that. This isn't an additive. It doesn't taste like you threw a bunch of Tabasco in there and then like right. covered it up with pounds and pounds of sugar to like mask the, the additive flavor. It's the fact that you finish it in a barrel. You did. It is, I think, slightly sweetened, isn't it? Yeah, there is. There's a little bit of cane syrup in there, which without yeah. that, it's kind of, it's like too much, right? It needs to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of rounds it out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of like using it. Exactly, exactly. It would, yeah, yeah, it would be too, like, thin or too, like, you need a little viscosity there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I really like using it as a vermouth or an amaro in my cocktails. Um, oh, and yeah. And so for this... Yeah. Oh, it's killer. It's, it's perfect. Um, so that's my cocktail that I'm sipping on this morning. Super easy drinking, just with some club soda in there. Um, I just, I love, like, I'm really into, like, a um, vermouth highball kick right now. I think it's super refreshing and light, especially oh, being yeah. in the industry. I drink so much. <laughs> so it allows me to kind of, like, cut back on the proof and still have a very nice, refreshing cocktail. No, I'm saying um, that's long drinks with club soda. Same reason. In quality, yeah. like under dilution, you're actually getting so much more like detail and flavor. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I really, I really enjoy that. Like that kind of pulling apart of the layers. That sounds mm -hmm. really delightful. Well, I think you would like it. Yeah, it's it's really good. 
Um, and then I've got more of an afternoon night cocktail too. Um, using, so I work at, uh, Gertie's bar at the 404 kitchen in Nashville. And I know you've done some work with Matt Bolas before. Um, we have the nine year George Dickel from you guys, um, that I think, I believe that George, uh, I, sorry, that Matt Bolas picked that out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, it's fantastic. Uh, it's got some really beautiful kind of, um, caramel notes, but I get definitely some cashew kind of undertone, kind of like a nutty undertone to it. Mm. Um, it works great in Tennessee mules, just for all of you drinkers out there that are looking for another drink to order at a bar, go order you a George Dickel Tennessee mule. It's like one of the best ways to try a mule. Um, but I am making this with a, I made a pumpkin seed tincture. Mm. So what I want you guys to do at home, playing around with big flavors um, go dehydrate some uh, pumpkin seeds or find some dehydrated pumpkin seeds. They're actually not that hard to find. And let it rest with some very high-proof spirit. You let it rest for about six weeks, and then you've got this really concentrated flavor. Um, so I'm using two ounces of the George Dickel 9-year. I'm using a half ounce of the George Dickel Tabasco finished uh, barrel finish and uh, using it kind of like that Amaro there. And then I made a coffee demerara. I know it sounds like a lot, folks, but it's not that hard, I promise. <laughs> you can go home and get some, uh, or like go find either Demerara, which is a raw and processed sugar. You can use turbinado. You can use um, brown sugar if you need to. Just find something that like those little like um, like larger grains of sugar. Um, and then you cook it down with coffee instead of water. Um, and so that's what I'm using. I'm using one part coffee to two parts of the sugar. So I'm going to repeat the recipe again. It's two ounces of the George, George Dickel nine year. Um, it's a half ounce of the George Dickel Tabasco barrel finish. And then I'm doing a fourth ounce of the coffee de Marrera. And then I take my pumpkin seed tincture that I work so hard on and just put about a third of a dropper in there, stir it down on water. I like it with an orange uh, zest over the top. So you have that nice aroma of orange oil. All of that comes together to really bring out some of those beautiful undertones of the George Nickel. You get the spiciness, you get a little coffee note, you get a little nutty note from the pumpkin seeds. It's really, really cool together. So that is my cocktail. Yum. (laughs) See, that's why I'm so impressed with you. Like, my cocktail home skills pretty much stop at, like, club soda and bitter. And at least some (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I'm here for. You keep you keep making the whiskey. We'll keep making the cocktails. Perfect. It's a symbiotic relationship. Love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that, Kayla. Um, Let's get into our discussion. Obviously, today we are talking with Nicole Austin, who is um, right now a distiller for George Dickel at Cascade Hollow. And, um, so let's start with your origin story really quickly, just like a superhero, which in our world, you certainly are. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Okay. Quick origin story. Um, so in high school, right. So I guess it all starts in like the high school guidance counselor's office. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I'm just like looking at the list of majors and I see chemical engineering and like chemistry and math. Like, those are the two things I'm good at, so I'll just do this. This seems like a logical choice. And she looks at me and, and kind of implies, oh, I, I don't know if you have the discipline for that. Ooh. Like, oh, I wow. should do this. And, you know, of course, me, the teenager, I'm like, 
I'm yours, lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll show you. So, I don't know, maybe she was actually not terrible and just really good at reverse psychology. I don't know. But it, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I, like, stuck out this degree, basically, in defiance of my guidance counselor. Um, so, so awesome. I love that yeah, so much. Well for me, right? <laughs> you know, at some point, get through all of that and realize, oh, I better pick a career, you know, because college will end. And you don't want to do, you know, to to me is they put you, the classic industries are not at all industries that make you feel good about being human. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like oil and gas and like pharma and it's just, I, you know, I was kind of looking down the list like, nope, 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 terrible idea, nope. So I went for environmental engineering because that sounded like, okay, that would be a positive contribution to the world. So maybe I could do that. And I went to this big environmental engineering company, and which was cool, but mostly I worked in wastewater treatment. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sexy. It's exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know you're thinking, like, wow, what a glamorous job. Um, <laughs> no, it's awesome. actually was not that super glamorous. I did love it. It was very, very <laughs> cool. You know, it's, like, really interesting engineering, and it's really, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, waste-to-energy aspects that are kind of being worked on. Mm. They definitely teach you really really good level of engineering rigor you know because not flooding people's basements with poop is really important yeah. right. so yeah, <laughs> kind of necessary yeah, yeah. Life, right <laughs> and, you know it's the hidden gems um under the city of new york you know i, I did not see any alligators but i did see a mattress in the sewer that i have a lot of questions about <laughs> <laughs> that's and, funny yes um, actually the worst thing about that job is not what you're thinking um, it's the spiders. Oh. Oh, no. Everywhere. Oh, no. Oh, no. I hate it so much already. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Me too. Me too. Oh, my gosh. Fairly short-lived uh, career in the industry. I have worked there um, for about six years and then realized, okay, you know, actually you get to you kind of stop doing the fine engineering stuff and end up just being like a manager mm-hmm. who works on, you know, budgets. Mm-hmm. And... So knew I wanted to do something else, but had no idea what. Was in a bar, um, Jeff Galley at Char Four in Brooklyn. R.I.P. Miss you. Um, and he was pouring me a whiskey and said something about how it was distilled. And I just had that moment of like, holy, you know, like I, that's awesome. This is what I went to school for. Like, why didn't anybody say? It? Yeah, why didn't anybody tell me exactly? <laughs> You know, I could have been doing this the whole time. Yep. <laughs> um, no one pitched so, those to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that was so convincing. Like, obviously, this is what I meant to do. You know, it's as close as you could possibly come as an engineer to making art, you know? Right. <laughs> right. If you have absolutely no talent in music and no talent in painting and even <laughs> photography, it's like, oh, that's like chemistry art. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was super terrible. Okay. What can I do here? And that was clearly it. So, um, when trying to get into the industry, but that was, this was, you know, like 10, 15 years ago yeah. and craft spirits was not a thing at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did not have the right degree for Kentucky, did not have the right degree for Scotland. Like, where am I going to go? And was getting a little frustrated then uh, in 2010. So there's like a notice from Kings County. They were the first to get licensed in New York city since prohibition. And there was a little notice in the paper about it. And I basically like showed up, um, you know, all full of my, like, 25-year-old hubris, you know? Like, I'm a chemical engineer, you know? You're welcome. <laughs> 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 like, I'm over for you now. And, you 
know, Colin is like, okay, I mean, we can't pay you, but awesome. That sounds super useful. And, you know, I said, well, I'd rather be a partner. You know, I'd rather have sweat equity than pay anyways. And mm-hmm. that was how I became the master blender for Kings County Distillery. So that was my, that's how I got in. That was my foot in the door. And that's awesome. I yeah, love that because that's, that's, I've heard that story so many times from distillers. Um, and from distillers that didn't have a chemical engineering background, I have a yeah. similar story. I went and banged on the door of a historic distillery in Dayton, Ohio, and said, you have to, it's a craft distillery, you have to hire me. And they said, I can't pay you. And I don't know what we yeah. would do with you. And I said, well, I'll just figure it out. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted out of them or to do with them or there at the time. And it... T- Nor it, did they probably know. No, they had... useful, Yeah. Yeah, and nobody really knew what they were doing there anyway, because they had inherited this, you know, they the laws had just changed in Ohio, and they they were able to reopen this distillery that had been shuttered for, I don't know, 80 years or something. And we kind of all learned together. And it turned out that I was super good at science, which I was always told I was bad at math and sciences, because I'm a child of the 70s and 80s and girls, God forbid, we go into STEM. And it was a similar just, thing. You like know, you're more delicate, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, I could faint, you know, I don't, too many numbers. Um, but it was a similar thing. Like, why didn't anybody tell me I could do this? Like, you know, um, I didn't become a distiller, but, you know, there's a lot of aspects. I, really, for me, it's, it's sensory. It was tasting the barrels, you know, really being able to discern when a barrel was ready and kind of, you know, and yeah. then just being able to translate that to our guests. I created a tasting experience there to say, just to teach people about whiskey in general. And it turns out that's what I love is the education part of it. So thank God I banged on their door. <laughs> I mean, the fun thing about that is like, there's no one, you know, in front of you. Like, if you're there and you're all figuring it out together, you know, there's no, like, structure that you have to break into because you're creating in that moment. Like, yeah, okay, me calling myself the you know, master blender for Kings County. Like, what does that even mean? You know, like, we came up with that title when I think we have 20 barrels. Yeah. Total. <laughs> to, our, to our name. But, you know, hey, you may as well, right? And at a certain point, like, no one knows them better than you. So, right. yeah, I maybe couldn't go do, you know, someone else's job, like I haven't done forever, but no one could come in and do mine better than me, you know, like, no right. one could do right. better than me. Right. And it gives you a lot of opportunity, like, when there's no structure in front of you that you have to break into. Um, I, you know, I really felt pretty lucky for the, like, industry timing of all of that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you were there, like you said, in the early days. And, you know, same for me, just watching that. You know, back when. I know. Isn't that crazy? Well, but people don't realize how fast it's expanded. And I mean, and and we'll we'll get to that in a second. You you also got to be on the ground that was starting, and then go abroad and look at it from another perspective. Um, you know, so you helped to found um, while you were with Kings County, I do believe, right? You yep. helped to pass the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, which sure slashes the federal excise wow. taxes on spirits, we wine, and beer. Yeah, I saw that on your on your uh, Instagram. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Me and Marcella. Wow, that's super cool. 
I mean, that's a huge, huge accomplishment. And I know you know how important it is, but just fathom in 50 years how much more important that's going to be when we have a history behind us again in American spirits. I'm just... Yeah, I think you only have to look at, like, the beer and wine industries to see how important those kinds of law changes are. You know, like, look at Napa, mm-hmm. you know, look at Sonoma, look, and then and then look at what that in all of these other regions, you know, Washington State and Oregon and Virginia and like, you know, what's happened in American wine to see what the future might look like for American spirits. Absolutely. I'm really really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. So you ended up in Ireland. Um, Were you with Tully? Well, you were with Tully, right? Tullamore Dew? Yep. Yeah, I was a commissioning engineer for the grain distillery that they were building. So were you um, living in Offley or were you in I- somewhere in Ireland? Yeah, I lived right in the town of Tullamore. Oh, I love it. It was always oh, magical. I could walk to the pub. I could walk to the like restaurants. I could walk to my stable and I could walk to a castle. And I could see the distillery. <laughs> wow. The wow. Sorted. That's <laughs> a dream life right there. That's like, that's crazy. It wow. really, really was. I mean... No job but this one could have pulled me out of there, really. Yeah, sure. I was yeah. pretty happy. That's awesome. You um, did you, you worked with Dave Pickerel after? Is that correct? So before, yeah. Oh, before, okay. Before, yeah. When I was at Kings County, uh, so we, you know, we all kept our day jobs for the first couple of years because at sure. that time it's so you know so weird because it wasn't that long ago. But really, <laughs> no one knew if craft spirits was going to be a thing, right? You know, yeah. like, is this company yeah. going to be a hobby? Is it ever going to be? profitable like you right. know, will people even care about right in the outside of kentucky you know nobody really knew so yeah we were you know all keeping our day jobs and kind of doing this on you know every evening and weekend and occasionally mid-afternoon don't tell my old boss <laughs> um, <laughs> but we so when we when you know obviously the need for you to be there full-time kind of proceeds the like profitability that could pay Brooklyn rent being there mm-hmm. full Oh, my God. So, um, you know, thank God for Dave. Like, he's the one that kind of stepped in and hired me so that I was able to have that security to, like, quit my day job and be a distiller full-time. And I learned a ton. So, I, you know, I was at Kings County. I was also, you know, on the road with him and with other clients. And, um, you know, that really was the stopgap that helped me go from you know, having a like nine to five to being a full-time distiller. And so working with him for two years, um, then I did some consulting on my own, all while still, you know, working in Kings County. And then that um, consulting that I did on my own was, I did some work for William Grant. That was how I got the job offer to go over to Ireland and be the commissioner. So cool. Yeah. And he also allowed me, uh, you know, a lot of freedom to do a lot of industry organizing work, which, you know, without that, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, spend as much time as I did on, you know, the American Craft Spirits Legislative Committee or, you know, the New York City Distillers Guild. Um, I was the founding president for that. did a lot of state-level legislation as well. So mm-hmm. uh, it was really, you know, that was the opportunity that kind of allowed me to really dig into the industry. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. There's a really cool um, little movie, I guess you would call it, that was made by Hudson. Um, you know, I'm talking oh, yeah. the uh, their brand ambassador, right? And, and it's about. Um, it's not just about Hudson, of course. It's about New York distilling at the time, and you're you're in that movie, and mm-hmm. um, just some pioneers from. Um, it's really cool. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. So people can watch that. Very interesting. I about that. That was 
was a great movie. It really, it's very informational. It gives you a really, it's so weird because Nicole, as I was watching it, I could feel the memory of what it was like that many years ago in our industry. I felt it too. Like my own memories of 10 years ago, you know, (laughs) like it was really cool. So it's a great snapshot of that time and also explains more about the um, tax reform act that she helped to pass listeners. So um, definitely check that out. We'll put that in the notes. Um, I swear it's way more interesting than you think it is. Uh, You know, tax legislation actually very exciting. Yeah, it, it really is, actually. The minute that you can relate it to something, like it's like, okay, this is about whiskey, then all of a sudden, it just makes so much more sense. And you're, you're like, I gotta, I gotta shake my fist at this and get in on this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, it's and, real. And actually, it's now real. is the perfect time for people to get fist shaken because the, um, the legislation we passed had a sunset for it's gonna expire December of this year if we don't do something to get it mm-hmm. in an extender package. So uh, now is definitely the time to call your congressman and senator and ask them to co-sponsor the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act to get us um, put in permanently. And I will be happy to send you guys some links to include in the show notes. Please. 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 Yes, we will definitely do that. And um, we'll put that in our Facebook group as well, listeners. It's something that... You know, I I actually worked for Koval as well. And, you know, I'm sure you know, Nicole, that um, the woman who owns Koval was single-handedly at the beginning responsible for beginning to change the laws to allow distillation in the state of Illinois. I mean, some of the things she's done has been insane just so they could open their own distillery. Um, so it's something that's near and dear to my heart, especially we've had, we fought a lot in the state of Ohio when I was working for Indian Creek. So, I mean, just Pete, you know, I don't think people realize that, okay, we can distill the beverage. Great. Can we sell it in our state? No. Oh, crap. That that's a real thing that happened to us. We can't distribute it in our state. What? Oh, crap. We can, well, we can self-distribute it now. Oh, okay, cool. Wait a minute. People can't visit our distillery and taste our spirit. That was actually a thing. And it's just these layers and layers that you have to keep peeling back and spending money on lobbyists and the time. And imagine you've spent $5 million getting this distillery going and you haven't even sold a bottle yet and you're already out. You know, imagine trying to raise $5 million to start a distillery and you have to tell your investors like, Oh, by the way, actually, I'm not going to be able to sell this to anybody. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. It, it, it's there's so many ways that those kinds of rules hold back the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and hold back the development. And you can. It's obvious. You can see the states that have modernized their laws. You know, they leap from zero to hundreds of distilleries, and the states that did not have not. You know, and you. Yes. Yeah. It just is so. You can only have to look at a map to see how important those kinds of rule changes are. Right. And listeners who are not whiskey drinkers, how does that benefit you? It benefits you with a massive tax base. And often the way we get these laws passed is that we promise to allocate some of those taxes to certain things like schools or drug programs, things like that. I know that was the case in the state of Ohio. Um, Also, like if you care about farmers, if you care about American manufacturing, mm -hmm. if you care about preserving American manufacturing jobs that are localized and, you know, high value you know, non-commodity purchasers for small farms, you know, folks who are 
really producing high quality agriculture. You know, if you if those all of those things are pulled together, I don't think you have to be a whiskey drinker to appreciate the value of a craft spirits industry. Absolutely, and tourism, like all mm-hmm. those things are really really helpful. And you know, as we're thinking about these sort of small rural agricultural towns. You know, it all fits together, like fancy cheese and fancy whiskey and fancy ice cream and fancy beer. You know, we need all those things. Absolutely. And it's great for sustainability and it's great for our environment because people are caring about the land again. We're, we're needing more space to farm in certain areas, which is fantastic. Um, and, and we need that right now. So absolutely. So Nicole, tell us how you made your way to Cascade Hollow, how that all unfolded. Well, um, funnily enough, so I was in Ireland, right? I'm pretty sure I was going to stay there, uh, you know, basically forever in the land of like fairies and whiskey and horses. Yeah. Um, and I got a phone call. I totally accidentally tried to give this job away. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I, I got a phone call from a recruiter, and she's talking to me. And um, actually, shout out to Noah Rothbaum. Thank you for uh, giving her my contact information. But she's telling me about this job, and I'm thinking she's calling me because of all the folks I know in the industry, you know? Okay. So I start rattling off all these names, like, oh, I could definitely oh, no. help you find someone oh, no. <laughs> like, to fill this job. And I start rattling off names, you know, people I think would be great at it. And she interrupts me, she's like, stop talking. Um, <laughs> 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 we want you and I just, oh wow oh, oh. <laughs> okay, forget all of those names I just <laughs> that's hilarious you want to do this job yeah and um, it was actually super quick so she called me you know right before we were going to turn the distillery on um, you know and actually get ready to push it and at that point I couldn't leave you know you're on call for like 24 hours a day once it's on so basically got real serious real quick you know so if if uh if you actually want me, like, I need to fly over there. I need to see the distillery. Um, you know, I need to get some vague idea of whether or not I actually want to move to Tennessee. Um, and so they <laughs> flew me over in my weekend, like two weeks after this phone call. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it all happened super fast. Yeah. Wow. It's really... I mean, if you've been to the distillery, I don't need to explain why I would just immediately fall in love. You know, um, it's, it's a pretty special place. And the idea, I mean, for me, the idea of being able to really put my fingerprint on, you know, balance this, this incredible heritage that Dickel has, Mm -hmm. you know, this honest, authentic connection to the history of North American whiskey and this really like distinct regional identity, you know, which as a New Yorker, you know, like thinking about Ryan Empire, Ryan, this is a different type of regional identity that I was really excited about. It has all those things, but it also hasn't, you know, it hasn't been expanded. It hasn't been modernized. It hadn't, already a modern identity has not already been created for it you know so it's still sort of this blank slate on what mm-hmm. what cascade hollow might look like in the future so it's just so yeah, unique well, I, you know i can't think of i can't think of any other North American distillery that's like that you know um, so i couldn't say no that's super exciting i mean you get the best of both worlds you get 148 years of history and then yeah. you get to modernize it and you know respectfully of course and gently but do you kind of get room to move in there and that must feel incredible it is incredible i mean and there's no you know you you've got to respect the whiskey but like i don't think any of us feel precious about you know that i still need to like lug things up hills by bucket mm-hmm. you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I'm willing to embrace pump technology, you know, yeah. even a computer yeah. and like, 
things that make mm-hmm. the whiskey better and safer, right? Because the heritage is really like the we pursue the best whiskey. I mean, that's the heritage, right? Absolutely. And, and the best like whiskey that. from this place, like the, the best expression of what, you know, this place, like Tullahoma, Tennessee, could make. Yeah. So that's not the same thing now that it was right. in 1870. You know, right. The connection is still there. So I have a two-fold question here for you, which is going to get into some nerdy stuff. Um, we're going to first start talking about Have some... Have we not gotten into nerdy stuff? Well, we're going to get... We're about to get real, <laughs> real nerdy. Kayla and I have the ability to nerd all the way down sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah we, we have to. Let's do it. So there's an article that mentions you alongside of several women that are spearheading the industry worldwide. Um, the likes of Rebecca Weir, Scotland's first female Cooper, Cooper Smith. And Johnny, she's Johnny Walker's blender and, um, Emma Walker. And, uh, that's some good company to be in. I mean, to be mentioned alongside of them. So that's gotta be really exciting for you. Uh, and a little confusing, but also. <laughs> so one thing that since I, I teach a lot of sensory training and, um, also being a, a woman and we're, we're going to get into this angle. So I've been a bartender for a million years and I happened to just before bartending, I was in corporate fields. I keep getting myself into male dominated industries, not really thinking about that. And then I have all these experiences that can be frustrating downright. I mean, they, they, well, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they really are. We're getting there little by little. Um, let's say heavily dominated yeah. where I'm really, yeah. then maybe there's not five of us. There's only me. Um, yeah. So yeah. one of the most striking for me was being a woman standing behind a tasting bar in a distillery and, um, you know, having to learn, first of all, who was sitting at this bar four or five times a day after every tour. And how do I talk about whiskey? You know, I started off just like, well, obviously, you know, such and such, and they didn't know. And, you know, how people have preconceived notions about flavors. And it really was just this awesome journey. But recognizing the different experiences the men and the women were having at that tasting bar blew my mind. And... So I started doing a lot of research and um, I came across a lot of really, I started reading a lot about neuroscience mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting really nerdy about neuroscience and found a lot of research, especially recently, um, that proves that women have superior senses because we have more olfactory neurons. Um, and this is research that's been coming out in our own industry Um I know that bourbon women organization often do these tape blind tastings and um, have been kind of developing this conversation a little bit. The women will always choose the high proof bourbons depending on what glassware it's put in. That kind of stuff I find absolutely fascinating. And I feel like this research points to women being able to dominate in this industry if it is really true that biology gives us better senses. How do you feel about that? I mean, my so my thought on sensory is, you know, there may be an advantage that comes like is conferred by your biology, you know, or not. Like if you imagine, um, you know, everybody existing on some kind of spectrum, you know, the folks that are at the bottom end of that in terms of olfactory capability, probably there's no amount of practicing that they could do 
that, um, you know, would really enable them to be like good at sensory. But for everybody that's kind of in the middle and up, I think, I don't think that this comes from any kind of innate ability. Like it was, it was practice, right? It's like practice and study Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of time with vocabulary and hours of, you know, hours and hours and hours spent with these different whiskeys and with our barrels and, um, you know, that's not something that comes from my, the amount of neurons that I have somewhere. That's something that comes from, like, just work, just the, just the, the grit as far as I'm yeah. in the learning. So I think, I think most folks, um, you know, if they really wanted to have a passion about it, could get into it, um, you know, and be pretty good at it. Like, I, I don't perceive that I have some kind of you know, sensory advantage. And I definitely know I have blind spots, like thinking specifically, um, you know, that like sort of spearmint character that shows up in rise often. Mm -hmm. I just can't smell it. Just can't smell it. Right. Like I just, it's, I, I miss it. I know that it's there. People tell me that it's there. I believe them. Never see it. Don't know what they're talking about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that's why having a team as well is so important. You know, I used to work a ton with my apprentice at Kings County, you know, Ryan and like those things do matter, right. Cause we, we do have, you know, he had different blind spots than I have, and it was mm-hmm. the, the two of us working together that made the whiskey, you know, greater than it could have been on my own. But I don't think it's, you know, it's practice. I would love to think that, like, my biological advantage will allow me to overcome the, like, structural disadvantages of patriarchy, but I just <laughs> am not really sure that that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a I little like, bit. I like that idea. I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's, 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 when I researched this, I was like, you know, I don't know how, when they explain the, their thought on what, why this might be that we were the ones tasked with raising the children. So smelling danger and tasting danger, perhaps, and something poisonous if we were foraging or whatever was crucial. It makes a little more sense, you know? Um, yeah, I just find that, I find that interesting and I find, um, it interesting. A lot of these organizations that are for women and spirits, um, are constantly testing this theory as well. Uh, you know, I, I think that, I don't know. I think it's really funny. So it was the same thing with the hearing thing. You know, they, they keep doing all these studies, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are, is your husband really not hearing you or is he just pretending he's not hearing you? You know, <laughs> we, we need to yeah. find this. Yeah. I think that's really What's funny. Yeah. I mean, something that I think also really confers an advantage is when people don't come in with preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. You know, so if yeah. someone's new to whiskey, they are, it's a, it's more exploratory. Because if you, if you think you already know, you're never going to exactly. find a real answer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're coming in, like, and that's an advantage that I think some folks have just in general who are like new into the category because they don't have all these preconceived ideas about what it's going to be like. They, yeah. they kind of jump leaps and bounds over the people that are still stuck by, um, you know, in these like sort of historical like, expectations and right. assumptions yeah. from all this marketing, you know, and it holds them back. Exactly. Um, so I, I think there's a big advantage there too for like new, you know, folks that are new. Absolutely. I've, I'd like to talk to that a little, little bit because what I think is really cool, what happened uh, historically, why those assumptions came into existence came a lot because of prohibition um, because we were met with prohibition. Um, there's some great stories in our past about how, you know, women made a lot of whiskey early on because, uh, you know, we kind of had to, like, it was like, it's just part of what you, it was part of the daily chores, just like yeah. anything else. It's just making whiskey. And um, 
women and men drink drinks the same. You could have, mm-hmm. you know, our lighter, like fruity, uh, refreshing cocktails. They were drank by men just at the same as women. Um, and you can see that in all of the early classics, like the, uh, all the early bartenders guides showed that everyone enjoyed a refreshing cocktail. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with whether it was a male or female. And then prohibition hit. A lot of people don't know this. Maybe you guys are already aware of this, but for our listeners, um, in order to sneak whiskey or, or spirits into events, it would often be women with their very large dresses back then. And frequently it would be prostitutes, to be honest, um, that would sneak alcohol into events. So even after alcohol became legalized, because um, the suffragette movement and the tolerance movement kind of grew hand in hand, it was very much women against alcohol mm-hmm. because that was part of how we got our vote. That was part of how we got the ability to say, um, hey, we're not allowed to be served at our bars, but our husbands are, and they're drinking their faces off. Mm-hmm. So we don't have uh, any balance. And, and so all of these things kind of grew together. So then even after it became legal again, um, women who drank kind of did it in secret because it was still seen as salacious. It was still seen as problematic. So they would secretly be drinking. They would cover their drinks with lots of juice and lots of fruit. So that became like normalized and then picked up by marketing programs who saw, oh, women like fruity, juicy stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're going to make all of their drinks. So it really shifted gears for women across the world to make it like, oh, we like juicy, fruity stuff. We're not allowed to have the big, like high spirits, the high proof stuff. That's for the guys. And, uh, and it shifted in the guys' minds too. And so now even guys will be like, oh, I don't want a girly drink. Yeah. And it's just silly because ultimately they're both delicious. Like if you make a good cocktail, it's a good cocktail, period. Right. It could be light and refreshing. It could be spirit forward. It could be either. Um, and if you have a really good spirit and it's, it, you can drink it by itself, it's just as nuanced and beautiful by itself. It's just like you said, it's a training thing. You got to train your palate to kind of look for certain flavors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you have the nail on the head with like how much recent history is conflated with the entirety of whiskey history. Yes. Like, yeah. You know, that, oh, it's something that's been true only in the last 50 years, you know, is conflated with like, well, what the industry is about or what the history of whiskey is about. And that's so, it's really the exception, you know, in the, in the entirety of the length of like whiskey history. Right. Um, you know, this idea of like, all those ideas are really, you know, they're not the whole story. They're not even most of the story. They're just the story that we, uh, you know, remember the most easily. Yeah. And I mean, really located in this country for a very long time as well. You know, when we had prohibition, which, you know, you leave this country and go to other places and you see a completely different attitude towards spirits in general. And women's relationships to spirits really are no different than men's relationships in many other places. And that's also gives you a little bit of a reminder um, you know, how insulated it can be here in North America, you know, in this discussion, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, Nicole, one of your other passions besides whiskey and distilling is uh, horses. You are an equestrian, <laughs> am I right? Yes, 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 I am. Are you a jumper, I believe? I, yeah, I, I'm an inventor. Okay. So I do, yeah, I do, it's, it's three different disciplines in one, um, dressage, which is basically like horse ballet, mm-hmm. uh, and then cross country, which is like outside over, like across grass and through water and over logs and that kind of stuff, and then um, show jumping, which is like in a ring and over the like brightly colored fences. 
And this is English writing, listeners, not Western like cowboys. Um, My mom was an English writing teacher when I was little, so we grew up writing. Yeah, we grew up our whole lives writing. And my stepdad, um, my sister's father, was a thoroughbred trainer from Kentucky. He trained racehorses for years. So, yeah, so we we grew up with horses also. They're so great. Yeah, it's really rewarding, you know, to have a relationship with a horse. Yeah, they're beautiful animals. Um, my team over from Ireland, as I tell you. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Wow. That's so yeah. awesome. That's amazing. You were, yeah, that's so cool. I love it. Well, like I said, I thought I was going to stay, right? Yeah. So I bought a horse. Like, yeah. I was done, you know? And then I got <laughs> this, this job. Oh, man. What am I going to do? Okay, I'm How do you do this? this job, but I'm going to need you to help me. Move my horse, yeah. <laughs> wow, I just brought a dog back, and that was a big deal. I can't imagine oh, bringing yeah. uh, dog, cat, and horse. <laughs> oh wow, I love that. That's, that's, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you're now that you're in the South and being a New Yorker, um, New Yorkers are very. Uh, I think we're quite unique. I've lived all over this country and the world. And I, I, I feel like... I mean, we certainly like to believe it. it exactly. That's <laughs> New Englanders in general, I would say, all of New York and New England, and I always put New York and New England, um, we are very much about, this is where we're from, and, and our stuff is the best. And um, how do you like um, living in Tennessee, living in a completely different culture? You know, I, I mean, it is different, right? Like, it is a different culture, but people are people everywhere. Sure. You know, it's not, um, I haven't found it to be, like, so distinct. You know, um, there's, it's, I grew up in upstate New York, so it's not as so though I didn't grow up in the city. Or right. I grew up in upstate New York, and, um, you know, sort of, it's the, like, you know, rural America is really, um, you know, there's a certain amount of regionality, but I think it's, it's really, like, that different you know it hasn't it doesn't feel like i landed in like some alien land you know um that i wasn't perfectly familiar with uh, although um sonic cherry <laughs> um, <laughs> limeade yeah all right i got this okay <laughs> that's nice um the weather delightful yeah um, spiders that can kill you i'm less not so much yeah, yeah but um, <laughs> you know it's you know, there's upsides and there's downsides. I like yeah. being able to ride outside year round. That's yeah, pretty great. Yeah, um, you know, there's uh, it's different. I don't feel like I've really uh, like settled yet. You know, or really kind of got the sense of like what the rhythm of life is like down here yet. It's been it's been here a year, but it's, it's been such a whirlwind. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you grew up in Syracuse, which is, yes. like you said, upstate New York. Um, that's a whole my, – my dad's family's from Binghamton, so I'm very familiar. That's where I was born. Oh, really? <laughs> that's where my dad was born and, and um, my grandparents settled after the war. Um, it's a unique place in New York for sure. We call it – that's actually where t- the first Twilight Zone was filmed, um, was in Binghamton, New York, so we call it the Twilight Zone. The weather is – its own insane thing. So, um, yeah, you got an improvement on the weather for sure. <laughs> yeah, although there was like a tornado warning like week one after I got here. And oh. I was just, I had that moment of, oh, I really wasn't aware that that was a thing. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, too, you know, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah Tennessee has those surprises. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, and, you know, August is a thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oof, Yeah. <laughs> So last thing I want, we want to talk to you about, we, we like to discuss this with everyone who's on our show. Tell us about some of your favorite music and if there are especially favorite female led bands um, that, you know, what are you, what's on your rotation normally? Oh man. I mean, some of my favorite music, I think it's been a journey. Uh, my like musical identity is still probably super connected to you know, like, Riot Girl and early, you yeah. know, like, female led, you know, like, I probably know I have Tigra song. Like, yeah, La Tigra. Right oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. Uh, that's, I mean, thinking of, like, female led art, but I've, you know, I've gone on, like, a, a musical journey um, since then. I've been trying to, I've actually been trying to learn a lot, you know, having moved to the Nashville area about the history of, like, um, you know, American, like, country music mm-hmm. and the opry and all of those things and the, you know you gotta love dolly parton but there's so dolly. much more than yeah right there's so much more than dolly uh, i just learned i don't know if that's that. true i was gonna say but is there i don't know i've been listening this is podcast called cocaine and rhinestones oh wow <laughs> pretty great uh you know like about the history and um you know, it sounds like stuff that just a whole part of a, like American music culture that I really hadn't discovered before. So I've kind of been on that journey. That's fun. Um, you know, like Harper Valley PTA. Yes, I lo- Oh my god. Yeah, that's the best. Classic. <laughs> the Harper Classic. Valley PTA. Nice. was so fun. That was a song they picked, and I was like, man, phew, the good thing I just learned all the words I have to use for this podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a wide journey, but somewhere in the middle of there is my musical identity. <laughs> I love that. That was so cool. Traveling definitely changes your, or I should say adds to your music appreciation I try to, when I move places, I mean, here it's a little different, but when I moved to, you know, abroad, I was like, what is, what is like old French music when I was living in Paris? Like, you know, and I got into, you know, just learned so much. And, you know, I was, I lived in Belgium and in Spain. What's the traditional music? And it's, it's and really interesting. When you go to bars there that they're actually listening to like American pop from 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little depressing. <laughs> that was a little depressing. Um, <laughs> that that was that, but there, you can seek out the traditional music. I think the UK does a much better job than the rest of Europe, to be honest, because the pubs will have the, I forget what they call them, when the, you know, musicians can just show up and jam and they're typically mm-hmm. playing yeah. all the traditional yeah. music. So you really get to hear that traditional folk music, which is really cool. Ireland had that all the time as well. I really appreciated yeah. that. And actually, Ireland, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, like groups and organizations who are really uh, like dedicated to preserving that mm-hmm. kind of musical identity. But I think a lot of the, you know, folks, it's like, the way we treat, like, you know, American folk and banjo music, right? Like, folks right. from elsewhere come here. Right. I think it's amazing. You know, right. We're, like, obsessed with, like, the Celtic traditions because that's foreign and interesting to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the kids yeah. are like, this is old people music. What the hell? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so, um, I just want to end our time together 
Uh, so we do have some young listeners. I know. Um, if you are speaking to young women who are interested in STEM and who are interested in getting into any, any of the heavily dominated, dominated male industries, especially in the sciences, what would you say to them? I mean, so women are considering STEM, I think, you know, stick with it, right? Like, you know, there's going to be the only person's behavior you can control is your own. You know, that's something my mom said to me so much. And that was so useful because you, you just, you're going to encounter challenges. You cannot control which ones you're going to encounter. The only thing that you can control is how you respond to it. And it's really up to you, you know, to decide whether you're going to allow these barriers to keep you from getting where you want to be. Um, it's, you know, and you can sit there and, and kind of wallow in like how much harder you maybe have to work to access it, or you can sort of push forward and, and really find, try and find other women allies, you know, try and like resist the, um, you know, the, that cultural pressure and urge to perceive other women as competitors and, like reach out to those folks as your allies um, and help, you know, build each other up and, and push each other forward. Uh, and, those, you know, that'll be your strength to, I think, getting, getting where you want to be. And, um, you know, really, if you can, if you can get there, I think there's a strength and that actually will serve you really well. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic advice. And luckily for us, the whiskey world is very good about being good to each other and being a community and helping push each other forward. Yeah, it's a family, you know, like every single one of us chose this industry, right? Like yeah. very few people end up here by accident, you know, yeah. you, it's because you want to be in this industry and you really have a passion for it. Um, it makes for a, a nice family. It really does. It really does. Thank you so much, Nicole, for taking the time yeah, out of your, I know you're so me. busy. This was so I awesome. I had a great time. I really, really appreciate it. I'm so glad. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. It was awesome. It was really yeah. awesome to get to know you and come back anytime and hang out with <laughs> us. And next time I'm planning a trip in the fall to visit Kayla. So we'll come down and, and hang out with you. Oh, well, there's a guest room anytime. And I'm pretty sure that uh, oh. a pile of whiskey is still not going to be depleted. All right. <laughs> it's a date. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Right. Keep rocking, Nicole. That was an amazing discussion. I had a great time with Nicole. She's so fantastic. Run out and buy some George Dickel and support our new BFF. And um, also remember that we do have a Patreon page set up under Metal Rock and Whiskey. And um, we will be having some really cool new merch for Pretty Good for a Girl coming out soon. Some buttons and stickers and shirts and glasses and things like that. We really appreciate your support. So let's shut this sucker down. Kayla, where can stalkers and creepers find you? You can find me at Cadellas. And uh, also, friends, you can follow this podcast on all of the usual podcast platforms. 
and find us on Instagram at Pretty Good for a Girl. And please, please hit the subscribe button. It would mean so very much to us. It would indeed. And you can find me as Sailor Retro all over the internet. You can find Carolyn as Saulcoholic and Jenny as Rumder Woman 24-7, right? And you can find Nicole as well as Nicole Marie Austin and see pictures of her beautiful horses and her um, fur babies as well. So let's get our air guitars ready. It's time to rip the heck out of here. Bye, everyone. Bye.